0: Bible reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you, your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. And you will be buried at a good old age.
1: Let's let's pray,
0: Lord. We thank you for the, your Scripture. We thank you for the things that you teach us in it. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to listen to the, the sermon that you uh, that the pastor has prepared. Pray, Lord, that your your Spirit will speak to our hearts and teach us how to be better Christians, better servants for you in Christ's name. We pray.
1: Good morning. morning. We have a very interesting passage to look at. By the way, for those of you keeping track, we're in chapter 4 of the book of Romans. For those of you that thought we wouldn't get to chapter 4, we are there and we're ready to begin. In chapter 4, Paul seems to change gears and I want you to notice the change that he makes. In chapter 3, verse 31, he says, we do not nullify the law through faith. May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So in chapter 4, he tries to explain how we establish the law and what change takes place. The law was to point to God's work of justification and the sinner's need the teaching of the law, to show their sinfulness. Paul's been teaching that there's a righteousness that comes from God, and that's the goal for every person alive, to get and attain the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God has a legal standing before God. If you have the righteousness of God, you have a legal standing before God. And the righteousness of God is no way based on human moral effort, or actions. It will not lead you to anything if you tempt to do quote-unquote good things, moral things, to earn justification. It will not do it. If you try to do good things to be justified, you'd be just like this man. Back in 1994, there was an accountant in London. And uh, he was 63 years old. And he needed uh, gallbladder surgery. But he didn't like doctors. <laughs> mm-hmm. He didn't like doctors. So he did a little research and he tried to form- perform the surgery on himself. Oh, no. <laughs> Yo, yes. Tragically, he got an infection from the self-surgery and died. When you try to do good works to earn your way to heaven, you're just like that guy doing self-surgery to get rid of a gallbladder. How silly is that? Very silly. And... It cost him his life. And if you try to do moral things to earn your way to heaven, it will lose your eternal life. And you're doing the same thing. The problem we have today... I'm going to try to be positive. The problem we have today is that there's a large percentage, probably more than the majority of churches that believe you have to do things to earn salvation. And they are teaching how to do surgery on your spiritual body. And there will be nothing good coming out of that surgery. Paul is trying to make a great point here. So he brings up a great person in the Old Testament that everybody in his society looked up to? Abraham. Abraham. First question. Why does Paul bring up Abraham during a debate about salvation being by works or by grace? Number one, the Jews of that day taught that Abraham was saved by moral actions. The Jews of that day taught Abraham was saved by doing good things. Abraham was saved by doing good works. That Abraham was saved by doing more good things than evil things. And I'll show you the difference. (laughs) It's a little bigger than that. Same thing, we have a lot of churches, in my opinion, the majority of churches teaching the same thing. That you can do good things and earn justification. Earn salvation. And the Jews in that day pointed to one person, Abraham, the father of the Jews. And they said, if the father of the Jews is saved by doing moral things, righteous things, good things, you and I can be saved that way too. The Jews believed about Abraham that he was the perfect Pharisee. They taught that. He served God with love. The Jews believed in that day that Abraham was the model evangelist. He brought many Gentiles to the faith of the one true God. The Jews believed in that day that Abraham destroyed idols and stood for God's truth. The Jews believe that Abraham was the only righteous person alive during his time period, that he was the only good moral person of his generation. And that's why God picked him to be the father of the Jews. They taught this. First Maccabees teaches that Abraham was found faithful in testing And because he was found faithful in testing, he was counted as righteous. In the book of Jubilees that was written in the second century B.C. It talked, I'll quote it to you. Jubilees 23 verse 10. For Abraham was perfect in all his actions. Let me say that again. Abraham was perfect in all his actions with the Lord and was pleased through righteousness all the days of his life. He was pleasing because he was righteous all the days of his life. He was perfect. This is what was taught in the synagogue. The Jews believed a theory of intuition. They believed Abraham in his mind knew what the law would be in the future. He knew what the law would be in the future, and because he knew what the law would be, he did the law without the law. One uh, rabbi put it this way, we find that Abraham, our father, had performed the whole law before it was given. Abraham kept the law of the Most High, and then God made him a promise based upon his works. Therefore, it's because of the works of Abraham that God chose him to be saved. Paul is trying to teach just the opposite, and he's using the same person, Abraham. Matter of fact, got a picture here for you. Okay, come on, battery. See that building behind the fence? That tall, how, how three stories, maybe? I don't know. That was built by Herod the Great in the days of Jesus. It's one of the only things that Herod built that's still around. And you know why it's still around? Because supposedly it holds the burial place of Abraham. And Abraham was so key to the Jews, they kept it. And wouldn't let it be destroyed in these 2,000 years. They respected Abraham back then. Herod the Great built a, a museum for his tomb. And every Jew since has taken care of this place. So that it would still be around today. Abraham. What does a believer know about Abraham? Next question. Abraham. What does a believer know about Abraham? Number one. Abraham had no power to attain the righteousness of God by moral actions. Abraham had no power to attain righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, which is the goal, the solution, Paul says, to every problem we have with God. We need to attain the righteousness of God. And the pr- problem was Abraham did not have the power to attain the righteousness of God by doing moral actions. Look at verse 1. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? according to the flesh, has found. We say, we say seems to open up another uh, rhetorical question, seems to be a key that he has in the rest of the book, uh, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, that Paul seems to be using. Paul, and it's a specific word. word, the word that's translated say here is an interesting Greek word. It's only used by Paul in the book of Romans, and one time by a Pharisee in the Gospels. So it's a very unique word. And it seems to say or teach us that Paul is trying to make a point that there's a new subject coming up, and the subject's going to be about Abraham. Every Jew would agree that Abraham was key, would agree with Paul. Today, we know even the Muslims Still honor and worship Abraham. Abraham lived 600 years before the law came to Moses. 600 years. He was our forefather. Again, another interesting word he uses here, forefather. Uh, It's the only time we find it in the Bible. It's only here once. It's only here where he uses the word forefather. Usually, whenever we talk about Abraham in the New Testament... It's always referred to as Father Abraham or Abraham, our father. He always gets that title. But here, Paul uses an interesting word that seems to indicate that he was more than a physical father to us. He may have been a spiritual father as well. And if he's the first one that we see clearly in the Old Testament who is justified by God then he is a spiritual leader for all of us. But according to his flesh, in other words, his non-spiritual part of him, he did not have the power to do anything to attain the righteousness of God. Whenever the flesh is used this way, it seems to be talking about a weakness that we have. So even if you could do something morally good, it wouldn't be enough. Now, let me me give you a little short history about Abraham. We don't have enough time to go too deep. Let me go short. Let me give you some of the things you should know. Let me just remind you of what you know. In Genesis 15, verse 5 and 6, took him outside and said, Look towards the heaven, count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Now this is Abraham, who doesn't have any children, who's getting up in years, and can't produce children. And God says, you're going to have as many children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, as you see stars. It's at this point, verse 6 takes place, and he believed in the Lord. He believed what in the Lord? He believed the promise that God just told him. God told him a promise, and he believed it. And then notice what happens after that. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, Abraham amazingly talked to God. God told him a promise that would happen to his family. Abraham responded to the promise by believing. And by believing, he was declared righteous. This is justification. This is when Abraham was saved. This is when he was justified. Verse 18, chapter 15, it talks about on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. To your descendants I have given this land. In other words, he gives land, he gives a covenant, he makes a promise, he makes a promise to him, and Abraham, with his living faith, believes the promise of God. Are you getting this? Promise first, Then you believe and then you're declared righteous. Chapter 17, verse 10. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between you and me and your descendants and after you and every male among you shall be circumcised. Chapter 17 is close to chapter 15, but it's 74 years apart. 74 years later, Abraham is given the, uh, the requirement to circumcise his family. Now, remember, if you're a Jew in the day of Paul, circumcision was a big deal. Chapter 22, verse 9. They came to a place which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood getting ready to do what to his son Isaac? Sacrifice him. Again, another sign of his living faith. Another reason to get circumcised, to show your living faith. And so, sacrifice your son. Uh, God asks you to do that. You go, well, scratch your head. You'd think but you, by your living faith, would believe God that you would have descendants like the stars in the sky. Chapter 26, verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Now, understand chapter 26 comes before or after chapter 15? Uh, After. He is saved in chapter 15 and justified and declared righteous. Everything that occurs in Abraham's life after that, getting circumcised, sacrificing his son, and keeping the commandments that God gives him, all come about because of his living faith. His belief in the promises of God. Guess what? When you heard the gospel message, you were told about the promises of God. You then responded by believing the promise of God. You then were declared righteous, justified by the work of God. And then every day after that, you guess what you did? You obeyed God, and you were obedient to God, and you produce works in keeping with obedient, being obedient to God. Just like your forefather, Abraham. Same question. Verse 2, Romans chapter 4, verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, then we got chapters in the Bible out of order. He has something to boast about, but not before God. How does the believer know? What does the believer know about Abraham? Number two. Abraham did not attain the righteousness of God by moral actions. Abraham did not attain the righteousness of God by moral actions. Every moral action we see comes after he has been declared righteous. In other words, he's been justified. Everything came after he believed the promises of God. Everything changed in his life from then on. And from then on, he was obedient to God. If he said... Want you to circumcise everyone? You circumcise everyone. He he says something crazy like take your son up to an altar, sacrifice him. You would do it because you believe in the promises of God. You would obey the commands of God. But Abraham did not attain salvation in chapter fifteen by doing things in chapter twenty-six. Abraham was justified by works. That's our word, justified. If Abraham did something moral to be justified, then he would have something to be prideful about, boastful about. But it was not being justified by works that occurred for Abraham, and it's not being justified by works that occurred for us. Moral good works done beforehand, before justification, will not save you. Every false religion in this world has false works you have to do to be saved. Works are not the source of justification. A moral person trying to keep the laws or any law they make up, you will stand before a judge one day and he will declare you guilty and send you to a lake of fire where you will pay the price for your sin. And there will be a special place for that pastor that taught you to do good things. Third. What does the believer know about Abraham? Look at the end of uh, verse 2. For he has something to boast about, but not before God. Number three. Abraham had nothing in himself to boast about the righteousness of God. There is nothing he can claim he did to get the righteousness of God. There is nothing he he could not boast about it. He cannot be prideful about it. He cannot share with you and pat himself on the back about it. There is nothing you can do. Abraham, you can't do it. Same thing with us. There's nothing you can do to pat yourself on the back for hearing the gospel message, believing the promise of God, and God then declaring you righteous. You do not do it. You do not do the work of justification. Only the just and the justifier does the work of justification. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says this. This is a good verse. Paul's using it, talking about himself. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Sounds like Popeye. <laughs> I am what I am but by the grace of God. He emphasizes the grace of God. The grace of God makes me what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Once you are saved, once you are justified, once you are declared righteous, you enter down a road of grace, and that grace you labor on, and you work, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit, and you do things that bring glory to God. Not for your salvation, for the glory of God. Everything you have a choice to do tomorrow. You can do something sinful tomorrow, or you can do something righteous tomorrow. You do something righteous, you do it by the power of God, trying to be obedient to Him, trying to bring Him glory. Or, you can sin And please yourself. And not give glory to God. But it has nothing to do with you earning your way to heaven. I believe (laughs) you may get to heaven quicker. By disobeying God. But. You're saved. You believe the promise of God. You are declared righteous. And then the rest of your life. Every day you wake up on this planet. You. Wake up to do the righteous thing God wants you to do that day. Because you cannot boast. Because your boasting is not before God. Before God. Abraham had no grounds to boast before God. If God is standing in front of you. There's nothing for you to boast about. By the way, when we're there before God, there'll be nothing we can boast about. It's all His grace. How could anyone be justified by moral works if Abraham could not be justified by his good works? If Abraham couldn't do it, how can we do it? Leads us to our second question or third question or fourth question, whatever question it is. Here we go. What does the Bible say about the salvation of Abraham? What's the Bible say about the salvation of Abraham? This is good. Look at verse 3. This is very good. And by the way, I know some of you don't like writing in your Bible, but if you write in your Bible, this is a good verse to put a star in, say wow, or whatever you want to say about this verse. Verse 3. Here it comes. I almost need a drum roll. Special introduction. Musical introduction. Here it comes. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, I thought we'd get a couple of amens from that. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What's the Bible say about the salvation of God? First thing, first thing. Abraham's salvation is recorded in the book of truth. His salvation is recorded in the book of truth. And I'm sorry, but if you ever get in a debate with a non-believer about anything, evolution, uh, theories, uh, uh, Hinduism, uh, whatever it is you get a debate in with somebody, the authority you and I go to is the Bible. Paul here gets a debate against all the, the synagogues in the world that are teaching Abraham, earned his salvation by works. And he's debating them, and he's going to win the debate in verse 3 because he says, Let's go to the book. And he goes to chapter 15 in Genesis. He says, What's the book say? The place we go to get all our theological answers, the place we go is the Bible. The place we go to get specific divine truth is only found in the Bible. Paul appeals to the book, in the book of Romans, so often to the Old Testament to defend every major point he has, to make sure everybody understands look to the Bible. Jesus taught nothing that was disconnected or contrary to the Old Testament. Matter of fact, he expounded upon it. Abraham gave, God gave Abraham a promise. Abraham, step two, trusted the promise of God. Step three, God declared him righteous by the work of justification based upon the future work of the Messiah on the cross. Question two What does the Bible say about the salvation of Abraham? Number two. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God. Number two, Abraham's salvation was determined by his faith in the promises of God. Abraham's salvation was determined by his faith in the promises of God. Your faith, my faith, everyone who will go to heaven someday and be led into heaven will be by your faith in the promises of God. If you believe what God says, He will let you into His kingdom. If you believe in the work of Jesus Christ, you'll be led into the kingdom. If you dwell and abide with Jesus Christ, if you remain in Him, you'll be allowed in the kingdom of God. Not because of your works, but because you are declared righteous by God. It's all God. It's all grace. It's all God all the time. (sighs) Saving faith. The big difference between moral actions and saving faith is huge. Moral actions will not get you anything. Saving faith will get you everything. Even things you don't know, you'll get Working requires doing something. Believing requires the act of receiving something. Let me say that again. If you want to work something to get something, you'll get it. But you believe, you receive. You earn something by your efforts. You you do something for your work. And the thing you get by doing good works is you reserve for yourself a place in the lake of fire. What you receive by faith is you receive the promise that God gives to you. Believing relies upon another person. Working relies upon yourself. Receiving relies upon God. Working relies upon your small g, God, you. Abraham did not do something great to earn his salvation. He simply trusts the promise of God. Abraham, saving faith, relied upon God to keep his promise. Abraham trusted in the faithfulness and power of God. Contrary to what the rabbi said, that Abraham was saved by his faithfulness. He was saved by the faithfulness of God. Abraham believed God could do the impossible and make his children like the stars in heaven. It wasn't law. It was just saving faith. And yet, God declared him righteous. Just like everyone apart from Christ is equally sinful... Rejected by God, everyone who is in Christ is equally righteous and accepted by God. Belief is trusting or relying upon God's power to work through gospel message to produce reconciliation. Three. What does the Bible say about salvation of Abraham? Third. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. Number three, Abraham's salvation was finalized by being credited with the righteousness of God. Abraham's salvation was finalized by being credited with righteousness of God. With the righteousness of God. Just like you are. When you believe the message of the gospel... You believe the promise of God and you place your faith in God and you will be declared righteous and receive the righteousness of God that's done by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This word credited is key. It comes up 11 times in this chapter. 11 times in this chapter it comes up. Error's passive it's done to you one time and it stays yours forever and it's done to you you cannot credit yourself if abraham was saved by works he could not say he's credited with something you'd have to use a different greek word meaning that he was owed something or paid something for his work he's credited Credited is a bookkeeping term, an accounting term, to reckon something as a substitute. To reckon something as a substitute. The Greek terms involves a will, emotions, actions. To do some moral action, to deserve justification, you cannot use the word credited. God gave Abraham his grace and mercy by which God declared him righteous. When you were saved, you, by the grace and mercy of God, were declared righteous. Just like your forefather, Abraham. The sinner receives something he does not have. He's credited something. Abraham, in his own power, was not able to fulfill the promise of God by having children like the stars in the sky. The only way to respond to God's work of grace and mercy is placing your trust or saving faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And your status will be declared no longer an enemy, but you will receive the righteousness of God. After being declared righteous, Abraham still committed sins. After being declared righteous, it does not affect the work of justification. Justification is done by God. You don't change it with your sin. You'll get admonishment from God, but you'll still have your justification. Verse uh, Romans 10:10. 10, 10, For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth confessing, resulting in salvation. From your heart you believe, and you receive receive justification. You receive righteousness, justification. Because the justification The eyes of the judge when he looks at you will see righteousness because the blood of Jesus Christ covers you and makes you righteous. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God declares you righteous and you do nothing Sometimes people think, oh, wait a minute, pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham believed. Or I, when I heard the gospel, I placed my trust in Jesus Christ. Or I had faith in Jesus. You know what? There's nowhere in the law that said to have faith. So it's really not part of the law. (laughs) It is something even the New Testament said in the book of Acts that you're given the gift of faith. So even saving faith and living faith. Saving faith is a gift from God. Living faith is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And doctrinal faith is written by the Holy Spirit. So you get everything you need. And all you do is trust what God says. Don't get chapters out of order. And believe that you can do things to earn salvation you respond to salvation by putting into action a gift that comes from God here you go come on there you go will i remember that god's method of attaining righteousness is always consistently by faith in his promises will i remember that god's method of attaining his righteousness is always consistently by faith in his promises. Uh, I don't know where these fishermen were. A group of fishermen were going out on a boat, and they were going out in the Gulf of Mexico, so they are someplace Texas, and they were leaving, and they were getting out there, what, five miles out from land, and they started fishing, putting down their nets, whatever they were doing, and they started fishing. And they were busy fishing. That was their job. They were fishing. And they didn't notice the fog bank that came up on them. Okay? They're fishing. They're doing their work. They're busy at work. They're doing it. They're doing it. And they're not looking at the fog bank that rolls in. They look up and they're engulfed in a fog bank. They don't know which way land is. Now, in that day, they didn't have compasses on their boat. They didn't have a computer to get them home. They didn't know which way to go. So the fishermen started arguing. They started trying to figure out which is the best way to go. And they're getting the votes on which way to go. One guy remembers that in his bag, he has a small compass. And he looks at his compass and says, we need to go this way based upon what my compass says. And you know what the other fisherman said? No, "No, I'm positive it's this way. But he said, my compass says it's this way. No, your compass must be wrong. It's got to be this way. It took a while. But he finally convinced them to do what his little compass said. To go this way. And they took the boat. They turned it this way. And they followed the directions of the compass. And you know what happened? They're still in fog. And they almost hit the pier they left when they got to the pier. Because they went the right direction now listen you may think that you doing good things somehow earns your salvation that may be what you think and really believe and no matter what pastor david says you're going to believe it we go this way for salvation and you can believe that all you want but the compass says the bible says scripture says we go this way. And I'm sorry if that sounds dogmatic or mean or cruel or I'm not appreciating your opinion. But the Bible says we go this way. You understand the promise that God's offering to you. You place your faith and trust in that promise that God has the power to do what He says. And God declares you righteous. And when God declares you righteous, everything in your life is good. Father, I pray that you would help us to get away from a prideful, boastful way of thinking that working our way to heaven is the way to get there. That all roads lead to heaven. That we work all the same way to get to heaven. And Father, your word is very clear. We do not get to heaven that way. We get to heaven the same way Abraham did, the same way believers, Paul gets, the same way we get is by understanding the promise of God and placing our faith in that promise that he has the power to do it. And God, by his grace and mercy, declares us righteous so that when the judge looks at us, He doesn't see us. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then it says, well done, good and faithful. Enter into the kingdom of God. Father, I pray for those that aren't here that maybe don't believe or maybe that are here and don't believe that you don't have to do something to earn salvation. Pray, Father, that this passage would change their mind, that they'd give up that thought, that they would depend upon the promise of God and be saved, and be declared righteous. A righteousness we, can be, we cannot be credited with by ourselves, our works, our efforts. It only is credited by the God who gives it to us. Thank you, Father, for your great gift.